Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. The URM Podcast is also brought to you by Heirloomed Microphones. Heirloomed Microphones are high-end condenser microphones with something that has never been seen in the microphone industry, a triangular membrane. With our patented membranes and our tailored phase linear electronics, your recording and live experience will never be the same. Heirloomed, our microphones will help you discover clarity. Go to E-H-R-L-U-N-D.S-E for more info. And now your host, Joe Wanasek. Man, does it feel amazing to be back on this microphone again. It's been a while. I have been on vacation in Russia, and I am officially back for another episode of Dear Joel, where you can submit your questions to me, and I will answer them to you, as well as provide some epic rants. So if you've got questions, it's joel at urm.academy. Shoot me your questions, and I'll shoot you some answers. So hey... It feels good to be back. I mean, come on. I haven't been on the mic in a little while, and I miss doing this stuff. I've been doing some good Facebook Live rants with you guys and having a good time, and uh, dang, it just feels awesome to be back. So I'm happy to be sitting back in this chair and speaking to you, and I've got a couple of different things I want to talk about. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to everybody that signed up to take the speed mixing course. Your feedback has been amazing and inspiring. It's changing so many people's lives, and it's just great to see you guys doing so much fantastic work, as well as hear your mixes and do all that stuff. So it's really exciting. You guys are killing it. Keep working hard. High five. Next thing I want to talk about is we have an amazing opportunity coming up here in December. We have the first Unstoppable Recording Machine Summit, which is going to be amazing. It's something that you do not want to miss. This is going to be the premier event in audio education, and I am so dang excited to tell you about it because it is going to be incredible. I mean, first off, there's two things in your life that can really change your life and help you get ahead and get on the fast track. And the first thing is knowledge, having knowledge that you're not using or either implementing it or learning things that you didn't know. And this is gonna be an absolute knowledge bomb. We're flying in an all-star cast like Finn McKenty, uh, head of the Creative Live Audio Channel, just the mastermind genius over there. He's now the head of marketing over here at URM and he's gonna be coming in teaching you all kinds of amazing stuff that you can use to hack your career. We've got Billy Decker's gonna come and show us how to mix number ones. I think he just got another number one hit single that he had mixed, uh, I believe, this week. So he's on fire killing it. He's got lots of great stuff to share. We've got Fluff, Ryan Bruce coming to show you how to do it on YouTube and build your social media like a pro and build your brand, which is very, very important. Lots of great, fantastic, applicable stuff there. We got Mr. Kane Charco who's going to come in and he's going to produce some of your songs right in front of your guys' faces and he's going to show you guys how it's done like a boss. I mean, geez, what an amazing opportunity. Mr. Andrew Wade is going to come in and do a bunch of tracking courses on guitars and all kinds of awesome stuff. Super excited for that. Man, you should see his studio, guys. I, oh. The audio compound is incredible. I just got back from Nail the Mix with John Brown, and I got the chance to hang out and see the URM office down there and Andrew's studio, and it is something 
from out of this world. It's so beautiful and so incredible. So you definitely want to come hang out with us at Andrew Studio, and Andrew's going to show you how to kick some butt and get some stuff done. So I'm super excited. And I mean, we also got Brian Hood coming in, and Brian's going to come give you guys some awesome career advice, um, as well as I'm doing lectures. I'm going to do one on how to have an amazing career in audio, and I'm super excited because it has so many awesome action-packed things that I've never talked about publicly, and I cannot wait to share with you guys. Joey's going to be doing something and so was AL and there's going to be even more. So that's just a taste of all of the awesome stuff that's coming at the URM summit. You need to go check it out. It's nailthemix.com slash summit. Uh, Tickets are going super fast. So you need to get on that. And this thing is going to be amazing. I cannot wait. This is going to be the premier, coolest, most awesome, epic event in audio. So get there, get serious. I can't wait. So real quick, I kind of want to come back to a tangent I was on last time I did a Dear Joel episode before I left for vacation. And another person that's a friend of mine came down with some serious health problems, something very serious and life-threatening. And, you know, I think they'll pull through and they'll be all right and we're rooting and, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, when these things happen, um, I think to myself, wow, geez, it's amazing how much we take health for granted. So, Ever since uh, a few months ago, before right before I left to Russia, I've been committing myself to being even healthier and taking better care of myself. And I kind of want to try and inspire some of you guys out there listening to this to take control of your lives and you know step up your health, even if it's just doing something small, because it's so important. I mean, I've been eating a lot healthier ever since uh, I left for Russia and I've been back and I feel so much more awesome. I have so much more energy and I don't, I mean, I usually eat pretty good, but I've really, really stepped it up, I think to the next level. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm super jacked. So I've just tons of energy and I feel amazing. And that's something I've done. But the other day, a friend of mine uh, talked me into running a 5K marathon, or I should say a half marathon, or whatever that technically is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not much of a runner, but you know, I used to run a lot when I was in college, and when I would work out a lot, it was my preferred choice of cardio. I like that, and I like plyometrics and like jumping and things like that. So I decided, heck, why not? I'm going to do it. So I started training last night to run a half marathon, a 5K. I believe, hopefully, that's technically right. I think it's called a half marathon. So I would started training to run a 5K. Um, which is three miles from my U.S. friends. Um, not super far, not super extreme, but hey, you know, you got to start somewhere and I'm going to go out and I'm going to run one, I think, within the next month or two. So that's how I've committed as well as just working out a lot more to improve my own health. And I want to put the onus on you to take a minute to say, listen, you know, your health is something that you're never going to get back. You're only going to have it once in your life. And it's so important to take care of it and to use it now while you have it and you have, because it's always going to go down, you know, you're never going to get more health. You're never going to get younger. Every day we get older, we age, you know, our DNA replicates it. You know, it slowly kills us, especially after the age of uh, 25. It's all downhill. So I just want to take a minute here to say you can combat that decay by being healthy and putting your body into a growth mode. It's a very, very good way to kind of slow down the effects of aging. So, you know, I mean, if you got some crazy uh, disease or something that's hereditary. I mean, obviously it's going to happen, but, um, the thing is, I, I really believe that through good diet and just healthy lifestyle and having fun and enjoying your life, you know, you can combat that stuff. So take care of yourselves. That's all I'm saying. I want to inspire some of you. I'm going to go do a 5k 
run. So I want to know what you're going to do. Drive me a comment here and uh, let me know. But commit to something. Just do something every day. That's all I'm saying. It's important. And I want to see a healthier audio engineering community because, come on, we sit in a chair all day, which is terrible for if you're a male. It's terrible for your prostate. You know, you got to get up. You got to get out. You got to walk. You got to get fresh air, vitamin D, you know, do some high intensity training workout. So important. So do something, commit to it. Let me know. Drop me a comment on YouTube or something. And uh, let's do something in no small time this. Another thing I kind of wanted to go off on a little rant before I start answering questions is learning to shut off your producer brain. I know this is a completely unrelated topic to health, which I just talked about, but it's definitely important. I was just thinking um, every time I go to Russia and go abroad, you know, I get to hear a bunch of cool music. And when I listen to music when I'm at home in America, my brain immediately goes into producer mode. So I'm analyzing it, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that vocal delivery kind of sucked. Maybe, you know, that's overtuned. Maybe they should have added a harmony there that melody would have been better if they would, you know, I'm just sitting there and like, you know, picking everything apart. And then I'm like, oh, you know, the mixer comes on. Oh, I don't like the snare drum. The kick drum's got to be up a little bit. Yeah, the guitars aren't really gelling. They're a little boxy. They're interfering with the vocals. You know, when you work in this business, it is really damn hard to enjoy music because you're sitting down and listening and you're just trained to analyze it and break it down and deconstruct it and figure out how you can improve it. And it's really hard to sit down and just admire it. And you know, if you think about the original inception, like what got us all inspired to be in music and do this for a living in the first place was some sort of moment where some song or record or period of your life or set of records, you know, where you're just listening to a certain type of music just got you really, really into music and really, really made you want to just have it in your life all the time. And, you know, it just got you all jacked up and excited. So it's important to remember that part. And recently I had a very interesting experience. So I just got back. And of course, like the maniac I am, I know small time did immediately the day I got back, I had to mix a very important single for literally the, probably the biggest artist I've ever done uh, to date. Um, I'm doing a, it was a very awesome J-pop record I did and a guitarist named Miyavi, who is very, very popular and very famous in Japan. And it, he's got all these amazing J-pop, uh, you know, cameos and guests. And it's, it's really exciting for me. I mean, definitely the biggest thing I've done in that genre outside of metal. And it's something I, I, I just love working on pop music. And it was cool because, you know, I, I came in the first day after 26 hours of just hardcore flying right off the plane, sleep four hours, get up, boom, right into the studio, you know, <laughs> hit, the, hit the ground, both feet running. And I'll tell you, um, the second I opened up those tracks, I was just blown away. Like I really fell in love with the music. There's some really amazing songs on that record. And it just to come back from vacation and to open up a record and just have the music really speak to me. Um, it just combined a lot of things I love from a lot of different genres. For example, I love, uh, you know, guitar music because I used to be a shred guitar player many, many years ago and, you know, listen to a lot of like, you know, guitar technical inspired things. So it had some really cool guitar licks and things like that. And, you know, very creative use and uh, usage of the guitar as an instrument with modern music. But I also love pop music. So it took a lot of awesome pop music. And then it has all these really awesome, unique singers. And every song has kind of got its own little shtick and vibe. And it's super dope. So 
it was just a really awesome record to come in because it was so insanely well produced. Everything was so incredibly written. The performances on it were amazing. It was beautifully organized. Like everything about it was awesome, except, you know, I only had like nine days to finish the entire record and, you know, which was, which was more than enough, but it it definitely, you know, it was a pretty intense, rigorous schedule because I was going back and forth with Japan and changes and LA and, um, you know, lots of different time schedules. So it was just all over the place. But we had, I had so much fun doing it and I found a couple of songs that I just really loved on the record and it really just fired me up. Like, you know, I mean, when you're gone from uh, work for a while and I mean, in my case, it was six weeks and I hadn't really listened or worked on any music during the time. You know, I'll tell you, it just got me so stoked and just fired up. You know, it's it's awesome to be doing it. So um, at that point in time, you know, like I'll tie this back to what I was saying earlier, you know, learning to turn off your producer analytical brain is really, really, really important to your long-term success in doing this because yeah, you need to turn it on at work every day when you're here and you're in the studio and you're grinding, but you know, sometimes you get into a rut and I know there's a lot of you out there that ask me about how do I get out of ruts or, you know, you're, you're stressed out, you're tired, you've been grinding and you know, you're wearing down and you know, you're losing your edge. I'll tell you one great way to get out of your rut is to turn off your producer brain and to sit down and find something you love and enjoy about what you're doing right now and focus on it and just enjoy it. Like that Miyavi record I did, I throw it in my car and I listen to it. And I don't listen to a lot of records I've done, but I listen to it and I just bump a couple of songs that I love and I've just been rocking it all week. And every time I throw it in, I just get fired up and I'm like, this is great. And I'm not sitting there analyzing the mix like, oh, geez, should I have taken that S down a little bit or should I have, you know, maybe EQ'd the guitars? I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this is a great song. So, you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta really learn to turn that part of your brain off. It's so important for the enjoyment of what you're doing. It keeps you fresh, it keeps you fired up. And I'll tie this back to what. I started saying is that that's one of the things I love about going on vacation and spending like six weeks in a foreign environment. I discover a lot of really awesome music. For example, um, one night I went to a restaurant, which was like an Uzbekistan um, type theme. And they, you know, they had like a lot of Uzbek food and um, like plov and you know different types of kebab and things like that. But they have this band there um, from Uzbekistan and the band was fantastic. It was very interesting. Like one of the guys played uh, the hand drum, the darbuka, it's called. Um, the other guy sang and played guitar. Um, they had another guy that sang and there was a guy who played, uh, I think, um, maybe bass and violin. And it was really awesome because, you know, they, they played some track and they, they just jammed. They did a lot of like Eastern stuff. And my ear is used to the analytical, you know, Western music. And I'm, I'm always thinking about it. It always puts me in a work mood. It's hard for me to turn off my brain. But when I listen to like Eastern music, um, it's a very different feel. I don't understand a single word of what they're saying. I mean, it all sounds you know, lyrically the same. I, I don't understand a word of it, but I love the rhythm, the beat, the melody, that it's a different type of set of instrumentation and it always gets me fired up. So every time I go, I, I discover a bunch of cool songs like, you know, Russian pop or like Caucasian stuff or like Arabic pop or, you know, in this case, you know, some Uzbek music that this band showed me and things like that, that uh, really kind of gets you fired up and excited and just, uh, you know, really, rekindles some of the love that uh, just hours and hours of grinding brutal work in the studio can, uh, you know, slowly erode away at. So it's really good to change up your environment and listen to some some music that's really, really exotic for you. Because sometimes, you know, a lot of it, you're like, yeah, that's too much for me. But sometimes you find songs that you really like and you connect with and you want to keep keep listening to. So every time I go on vacation, I always find a couple of songs that are really cool that get me fired up and jacked. 
And I come back, I somehow find them on YouTube and I throw them in my playlist and then I'll listen to them. And, uh, you know, all my friends think I'm crazy. They're like, what is that weird music you're looking for? Listen to And I'm like, dude, it's awesome. I just, I, you got to get it. So I just want to say that that's a really fantastic way, um, to keep fresh, you know, and really just live in the moment and turn off your producer brain because it's a very difficult thing to do. You know what I mean? It's like, you're, we think about it all day. We train ourselves to microanalyze and then it's saying, okay, turn all that off, sit back, relax, and just enjoy it. So I think it's important, you know, I mean, like when you get in the car and you're, you're rocking some songs that you love, like make a great reel of songs. Don't sit there and analyze the mix. Don't analyze the production, sit back, turn it up and enjoy the music and just blast it and have fun and don't care. It's, it's a great feeling. It's something I forgot how to do for a very long time in my life. And over the last couple of years, I feel like I've really rediscovered that. And um, especially as of late, I've really, really like relearned how to enjoy a lot of music and not just completely dissect it and analyze it to oblivion and back. So I just want to share that with you. Maybe that helps you guys. I hope so. Okay, so. I'm going to move on here now and talk about a different topic. And this is something, um, it's going to be one more rant. So sorry, I will get to your questions soon, but Hey, you know, come on, it's my show. I can, I can talk about what I want to talk about to some degree. (laughs) So send me hate mail, flame me. I'm over it. It's okay. So yeah. Um, I want to talk about personal accountability because this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately that I feel like is really, really important that I don't see a lot of, especially when I go onto Facebook and just look at people's behavior. And I mean, this goes to all tracks of life because it's always easier to blame somebody else or some other circumstance in your life or ex, you know, or something way out of your life that's out of your control that somehow influenced your life. You know, it's a lot easier to blame any type of failure, any type of problem, any type of setback, any type of reason for procrastination or, you know, reason for why you couldn't do something on something or someone else else. It is the easy road. It is the weak road. It is the sad road, you know? So I just want to say that it's really important to be honest with yourself when you're setting goals and you're trying to achieve something and you're out there and you're working really hard towards something. It's easy to self-delude. I mean, um, I'll give you an example. I was in the lounge the other day and I heard some band come through and, you know, they were just a local band and like they were just talking so big about how awesome they're going to be and how badass and how famous. And it, it was kind of funny to me because then I looked at their, I just looked how they were dressed and I just knew right away that it, it wasn't going to fly. You know what I mean? Like I don't even need to hear their music. I know that their image is completely out of date and no one's going to invest in a band like that. But just like the way these guys were talking and they were just, they were completely delusional. And they had no sense of accountability. Like their brains were completely in the clouds. There was no sense of like, you know, these are my dreams. I have to do A, B, C, and D to get there. It was just like, these are my dreams and everything I'm doing is perfect. So, you know, I really believe that comes down to a sense of accountability and, you know, you get to be accountable. You got to get rid of self-delusion and you have to recognize it. I mean, I'll I'll go back and I've I've talked about this a couple of times in different places, but when I was in a band, I remember we were a thrash metal band in the, you know, the mid two thousands, we were like, oh yeah, we're really good at guitar and our drummer's really good and we can play. So, you know, we'll get signed. (laughs) And I sat back and I, I laugh now and I think about how stupid we were, but you know, we were totally delusional about it. Like we didn't know we're like, well, you know, Megadeth has shitty vocals and, you know, they got signed and they're huge and 
you know, but they, they, they write great songs, you know? So like you find all these crazy arguments to, to justify why what you're doing isn't working when deep down inside that, you know, it's not working. So just, it's really important to be self-accountable. I guess that's my main point here. You have to get rid of self-delusion. You need to sit down and really think about like, what am I trying to do and how can I get there? And you have to analyze it and deconstruct it. And then you have to sit down and be like, okay, well, what behaviors am I doing and what actions am I doing? You know, am I sitting down every day? Am I spending enough time doing this? Are there things that I'm procrastinating on that I know I should be doing? You know, is there, is there something that is pressing that's really, really important that I'm putting off and, you know, I, I'm out doing something stupid like watching TV or, you know, vice versa? These are the kinds of questions you need to ask yourself. You need to sit down and kind of just audit your goals every single week and just ask like, Hey, what am I doing in my life that I could, that I know that I'm not doing? Cause come on, we all know what we're not doing, but what am I doing that I could change right now? I mean, it's just like I was talking about running the other day. Um, I, I, I wanted to start, go to a 5k and it was like, I'm looking at the calendar and it's just like, eh, you know, I'll go out and I'll run tomorrow, get up early. And I, you know, cause I, there's one coming up in like a month and maybe I should, you know, I, I got to start training and I just sat down and then I'm like, am I being accountable here? Am I holding myself accountable or am I procrastinating? You know, am I, am I just saying, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. So I just, I literally came in last night. I put my track pants on and my shirt and I grabbed my phone and I went and ran, you know, a mile and a half around uh, in the dark with my cell phone as a light and 1030 at night, because you know what? You could wait your whole life for tomorrow to happen. There's always an excuse why you can't do it. There's always a reason why, but at the end of the day, successful people are accountable to themselves. They hold to themselves accountable. They hold themselves accountable to the other people in their life. You know, if you say you're going to do something, you commit to doing something, don't sit around feel feeling bad about not doing it. Sit down and put in the work and put in the time and get it done. It's so important. So you got to hold yourself accountable because a lot of people aren't going to do it. You know, people will say it behind your back. They'll be like, oh yeah, that guy, you know, he's crazy. He talks a big game, this or that. But at the end of the day, you either put in the work and you put in the time or you don't. And it's so important to do it. So you got to be accountable, especially if you're going the solopreneur route, you're trying to start a studio, you know, rise up, kick butt, take over, do something great with your life. You know what I mean? Do music for a living. Like you need to really, really be on top of your stuff. You need to really push yourself. You need to hold yourself accountable and say, you know what? I don't have a lot of time this weekend. Maybe I can't watch this episode of Nail the Mix. That's a terrible excuse. Listen, you make time, okay? You know, if you got to stay up an extra hour and then aggregate it over eight days to watch an eight hour event, like you're going to learn something. So you got to do it. So I'm just saying, like, if you want to take control of your life, you need to take control. You can't sit around and talk about taking control. You can't think about taking control. All that's a precursor. You need to sit down and actually take control and start immediately. And a big part of that is is holding yourself accountable. Sit down, set goals, say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this and start now and hold yourself accountable. You know, come up with consequences for yourself, like commit to doing something online. So you'll be embarrassed in front of all of your friends and family. If you don't do it, you know, I mean, like find a way to hold yourself accountable. That's all I'm saying. So accountability is something I've been thinking about. I wanted to share my thoughts on that. And that being said, now I'm going to get to your questions. All right. So our first question comes from our subscriber, Simon. And Simon's asking, Hey, Joel, I was wondering what your thoughts are about clipping between plugins. I'm usually mixing into a mastering chain. So I do the 
process at the same time in the same session. Because of that, I'm mixing pretty loud into my mastering chain. Some of the pl my plugins do indicate that I'm clipping, showing red, but I can't actually hear it. I can hear it if I'm clipping out of the output, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said dough. I, I should have. I truncated that, sorry. <laughs> if I'm clipping that output dough, <laughs> uh, like if I take away the limiter or uh, if it's too intense. In Pro Tools 10, the faders on the channel is low red if the output channel or aux is too hot. This is not the case in 11. It's just that the output glows red if it's clipping. I've read that there's no difference between 10 and 11 in this case. 11 doesn't show red clipping because there is none. Since there is 32-bit uh, floating uh, bit depth, uh, we do have a lot of headroom inside. Is this the case between plugins too, do they show clipping but are actually not? Love to hear your thoughts and facts on this. All right, Simon, maybe this is not the most scientific opinion on this. People will probably um, pull up the torches and come and, uh, you know, tar and feather me and burn me or something like that. But um, I'm going to tell you something about clipping plugins. I do it too sometimes. I try to gain structure. Sometimes I shoot overs. But if you can't hear it and it sounds good, who cares? Seriously, just do it, man. Like me and Decker had a really good conversation about this, you know, and Billy Decker has more number ones than I do. So I'm going to listen to his opinion because <laughs> he's got some really, really good uh, ears. I don't have any number ones. So um, Billy, Billy's a smart guy, man. He does some really amazing mixes and um, him and I were talking about clipping. I'm like, because he was just like, dude, man, I'm always pounding the red. He's like, I don't care, dude. I'm just, if you're not in the red, you're dead. You just got to gain it up. You got to duct tape. And I'm like, dude, I know, man. Like, it just sounds awesome. Who cares? I don't care if it's everything in the in the mix is clipping. Everything is red. If it sounds dope, it's dope. Now, if you're hearing audible distortion that degrades the quality of your mix, then obviously you probably want to back off. So sometimes I'll be sitting there gain structuring and I'll be running everything into the red super hot. And then like, I'll hear some clipping on my guitars or something like that. You're definitely going to hear clipping a lot more on sustained instruments than you are on transient instruments, by the way. But, you know, if you're hearing clipping and it sounds like it's distorting, then, you know, you got to pull some stuff back. But just because it's in the red and it's clipping doesn't technically mean that it's wrong or it sounds bad. I mean, heck, I love clipping. I use clippers all the time on drums and all sorts of things when I mix. So, you know, clipping can be a very, very powerful audio thing. I mean, it take, just takes the transient and lops it off and brings the body closer. Now, in terms of the technical behavior of how Pro Tools works, I don't know. Um, if you switch the 32, I'm assuming it, it works similar to CalQ base does, meaning you can take your buses and your tracks, you can throw them all into the red. And as long as you have enough headroom on your master and, and scoot your input gain down and you're not clipping, you're not going to hear any distortion. You can get away with it. The internal summing mixer can handle it. So all I'm saying, man, Simon, Pound it into the red, baby. If it sounds great, just rock and roll and keep going. Don't let it slow you down. I mean, yeah, you want to get good gain staging and stuff like that. But dude, I mean, come on. Some plugins just sound cool. Like I don't mind if I'm clipping the Waves SSL channel strip. You know, like sometimes I, I do. I do it all the time. I, it just, it's okay. You know, it, it never sounds bad to me when the meter's in the red. I just keep mixing. You know, I got better things to worry about. Like, is this song capturing the emotion? Does it sound good? Is it inspiring to listen to? Am I telling the story that the vocalist is trying to do? You know, that stuff is way more important when you're mixing than if you got a little bit of distortion on a transient here or there or something like that. So I don't know. That's just food for thought. Something to think about. It's my opinion. Your mileage may vary. Some people might think that's crazy, but you know what? We all have ears. Use your ears. What sounds good is good. All right, our next question comes from our subscriber, Patrick. 
Hey Joel, what are your thoughts on using credit to buy gear for your studio? Should you wait until you have the money to buy the next upgrade or should you just calculate your risk when taking on debt to fund those purchases? Oh, Patrick, I love this question because I am a huge fan of credit, okay? Now, let me preclude that statement. There is good debt and there is bad debt. And a lot of people don't understand the difference. They just go buy a bunch of crap on the credit cards or getting hit by 26% interest because they never took a class on finance. They don't understand how brutal and savage that is, how you're paying your minimums and you're just getting eaten alive. Now, I would say, Patrick, it's a very, very important skill. And this is especially for you young listeners listening here. Let me sound like an old man and get on my bully pulpit here and just smash this idea into your head. Listen up. If you're young, get a credit card and you need to be responsible. You want to build good credit. Okay, there's a reason. I'll tell you why here in a second, which is going to answer Patrick's question. You need to save Um, Every month you need to go and buy something stupid like a pack of gum, gas for your car, and then pay it off. And if you do that for a couple years when you're young, starting at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, um, over a couple of years, you're going to develop really solid credit. And then if you have really good credit, guess what happens? Banks come and they throw you credit offers. Like my credit score is about 800. I've been really responsible. I you know, I, I used to do credit and work at a bank and pull credit all day and stuff. So 850 is like the max. Um, you're, you're very rarely in society going to find people that have credit that's 800. I mean, that's like the ultra insane responsible. That's very, very top, you know, a couple of percentage points of people that are that responsible. So you want to be that person. Okay. And the trick is, is that never take on an insane amount of debt, but always pay it off. So take take some debt out, use it. So once you get really insane credit, what happens is every single month, you're gonna get 40 offers in the mail for people that wanna give you ridiculous credit card offers. Here's the $30,000 limit and 0% interest on all of your purchases for the next 36 months. So think about that for a second. You got like three years to pay something off and you do not have to pay interest on it. Think about how powerful of a tool that is, Patrick, as a business building weapon. I mean, I built my entire studio. I mean, I literally have bought well over 100 grand worth of equipment on 0% credit. I never paid a single dollar of interest and I never paid a single late payment on any of the stuff. I mean, even the late payments are like 30 bucks, so it's not a big deal. Um, But I mean, especially if you buy a compressor for a couple thousand dollars, right? So, um, The point is I would go and I would buy one piece of gear at a time and then I would pay it off over the, like the next two or three months. I'd make it a priority, even though I had, you know, two years to pay it off. Cause like, for example, Sweetwater does really dope credit deals. If you've got good credit, you know, they'll, they'll float you something for, you know, three, four years now. It's ridiculous. Even back then, you know, just getting six months, you know, so if you can pay it off in a couple of months, then guess what? Boom. You know, you're going to get like maybe a two to $5,000 limit at first. So boom, now you have another two to $5,000 in credit. You can go buy something else. So I would pay it off in two to three months. Then I would buy something else. Then I pay it off in two to three months and I buy something else. And I did this for like six or seven years. And then I got a bunch of really awesome stuff in my studio. And I made a ton of money returning on the investment because, you know, when you've got cool gear and it, it, people like it, it looks awesome and it sounds great. And if you do a good job and you've got some talent and, you know, you take care of your clients and you nurture those relationships, you'll keep your clients. So, you know, 
the gear definitely, I made my money back many, many, many times in the gear that I've invested. And at some point, if I ever want to sell the gear for some sort of small loss, you know, first off, if you run a business and you're smart, you've set up an LLC, what will happen is you'll be able to deduct, if you're an American, I, I, I'm not going to speak for any international business, let me put that disclaimer. If you're an American, you can write off all your, all your stuff that you buy, so you're getting it at the discount of whatever tax bracket you're in. And then on top of that, if you can leverage credit using somebody else's money to grow your business and not paying any interest, to me, that's like the double whammy. It's such a compounding, powerful, massive effect that you can use to accelerate, to get the things that you need to do the job. Um, I'm going to caution you though here, Patrick, you don't want to get gear lost, okay? It's very important to know uh, the most bang for your buck when you're spending money. So if I had to go and talk about outboard gear, I would say um, in my experience, like the most important things, you know, aside from like microphones and room treatment and stuff like that and, you know, getting a good interface, I think it's um, maybe getting like two channels of really, really great mic pre so you can get a really high quality input. Um, then maybe getting, if you're going to go analog, like a two bus compressor or anything that affects the two bus, like a two bus compressor and EQ, because it's going to affect everything, you know, all of your mixes, it's going to do a lot of heavy lifting for you. And at that point, if you really want to get nerdy and start getting individual compressors and patch base and all that crazy stuff like that, you can go down that route. But I think the best bang for the buck is stuff that you're going to use on everything. So like getting a really good two channel converter, uh, preamp, you know, or interface or something like that, that, you know, you're going to be using for 90% of the stuff. So you want 90, 10 years stuff, you know, like what 10% of the inputs are producing 90% of your results. So you don't need to spend a ton of money. Um, You can buy some gear and get some really fantastic results. uh, But credit, Patrick, is an amazing tool to leverage that. So just make sure you've got the work. You know, I wouldn't go spend five or 10 grand on credit if I didn't have five or 10 grand of work sitting on my calendar confirmed with deposits in my bank account over the next you know, a couple of months. So you want to make sure that you're budgeting properly. You want to be smart about your money. You want to be smart about financing. But if you can do it the way I did it, I'm telling you, Patrick, it's a really fast way to get ahead. It's really exciting because you can just get what you need when you need it and you don't have to worry about paying it. Like, for example, earlier this year, after I got completely cleaned out by the IRS on taxes and uh, wrote my entire bank account over into a check, um, I needed a new computer because my other computer was dying. So I went out and bought a computer for $2,000 on credit and, you know, I had a year to pay it off. And, uh, you know, I've been paying it and paying it. And finally, now that I've, I'm back here and I've collected some uh, money for some people that owe me some money in the studio, uh, now I'm going to pay it off. So, you know, right before the term, congratulations, I got a new computer, didn't pay a dime of interest. I've been using that computer for, you know, about six months now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's made me money and it's, it's been great. So think about leverage. It's a very, very positive thing. It's a very smart thing to do if you have the discipline, which is the real rub, to pay your credit every month and increase your credit score. And like once you have good credit, it's it's an amazing thing because like I said, people will come down and knock down the doors to give you offers. Um, kind of off topic, but kind of on topic. Let's, uh, I'll give you an example of a really smart thing to do. I make money on my credit cards. And I, I know a lot of people don't think like this, but I do because I'm a business owner and this is how business people think. So you should too, if you're not thinking like this, go find, if you have really good credit, go find like a really awesome travel credit card or cash back credit card where you're making money back. And if you have decent living expenses, you know, like for example, um, you know, lots of groceries and rent and things like that, you know, car insurance, whatever, you can 
put a lot of those expenses and pay for a lot of things on your credit card. Again, you need to pay it off every month. That's the rub, right? But if you can do that, you know, you could, you could easily put a couple of grand in living expenses on your credit card every month and you are racking up points or cash back. So I fly a lot. So I've got this really awesome card for people with elite credit and uh, by Barclay and it's fantastic. So I get a really high percentage of cash back and stuff. So every month, um, I get between one to $300 back. Now there's an $87 annual fee and I don't pay any interest or any late fees to the credit card company. So every month I'm making just for living like a hundred to 300 extra dollars just by using my credit card for daily living expenses that are completely unavoidable. You know what I mean? Like for example, if I got to put the kids in daycare, you know, there's that costs a couple thousand dollars a month in the US for the amount of kids I have. So boom, I can swipe, boom, there's three grand and you know a certain percentage of that goes back. So that stuff really adds up is what I'm saying. So every month I'm getting like 100 to 300 bucks back in credit stuff and the credit card company is paying me, which to me is ridiculous, but it works out in their behalf because so many people are not responsible. So there's another way. Um, if you're smart, you can use really awesome credit cards. So go get a business card and buy all your gear, get 0% financing for 18, 24, 36 months and get a card that gives you cash back uh, so you can take somebody else's money, build your business, and then have them pay you to do it. That, my friend, is the ultimate combination and life hack if you want to be boss mode. Like I said, I'm going to say it again, but I really want to pound this into your head, especially younger people that are starting to build credit and need to learn how to be responsible with money, which is very hard for a lot of people in society for some reason because they don't teach it in school. You have to pay your bill off every month, okay? Don't pay the bank interest. Don't be stupid. Let the bank pay you. Be smarter than that. So there you go. Those are the tricks of the trade, Patrick. Good luck. All right, next question comes from our subscriber, Charlie, and he has a long, epic question, epic tome here he's prepared. So this is gonna take a little bit to get through, but let's start. All right, so Charlie says, hey, Joel, it's a pretty lengthy question, but if you're gonna give me some advice, it'd be much appreciated. Yes, Charlie, I am happy to. So Charlie is saying, hey, I currently work at part-time in a technical support job for the supermarket. Unfortunately, as of February 2018, I will no longer have a job. I will receive redundancy pay, although I'm unsure how much yet. Naturally, I feel like I should start looking for another job. I, I live with my longtime girlfriend who suggested that rather than finding a new job, I try to develop myself properly as a freelancer. She figures uh, that with job seekers allowance plus my redundancy, Plus her high paying job, we'll be able to cover bills without me getting another job. Man, you got an awesome girlfriend. Good good for you. It's, it's good to have somebody in your life that's supporting you that's positive. I just want to say that. So high five on that one. Um, so this might sound like a dream come true, but I'm trying to be practical. I'm currently uh, do, making money freelancing with audio, but it is very sporadic. Some months might be great and I'll make uh, a few hundred pounds. All right. We're in Britain, but then I might have a few months of a little or no work. I do make a reliable income from audio. Most of my work is editing and reamping, but I've had a couple of mixing gigs before too, as well. So my question is as follows. Number one, is this an opportunity to start before I'm ready? Should I just say F it and try? Uh, what I am, uh, what I am scared of is spending six months of working from home and having, and having only one or two jobs in that time. And then finding myself in a position where I'm forced to find a regular job again. Anyways, that would achieve nothing. And then number two, what moves should I make in the next eight months to try and transition into making a more reliable income off music? All right, so Charlie, that's a good question. So it sounds to me like you've got this set up and I think that's fantastic. So I'm gonna tell you something and um, I know it's scary, buddy. Like I've been there, 
you know, this was me when I was 25 years old, when I kind of uh, lost my job and, you know, kind of <laughs> sat down in the old parents' basement and said, yep, um, I'm going to go for this. And everybody kind of gave me the raised eyebrow crazy look like, dude, what are you doing? Um, why don't you go find a new job? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty miserable sitting in a cubicle working for somebody else. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not what I want to do with my life. It's not for me and it's not going to make me happy. So I've been there. I've sat in your position and I know how terrifying it is. What's cool is you have at least a window of time from now to then where you can go and start working on it. So I would say this to you, Charlie, um, what is the worst possible scenario that can happen for you if you don't go for it? Okay, so if you don't go for it, you'll just find another job like the one you have because you have experience and you'll continue doing something that you've been doing and you are in the exact same place. So I feel like you lose nothing, all right, other than a little bit of time, but I'll tell you, there's, a, there's something important about this. Yeah, you may lose some time going for it, but what you're going to gain is you're going to gain some life experience that is absolutely invaluable to me. So yeah, you know, the first like year I did audio was a pretty rough year. I think I made $6,000. It was terrifying because I had a job that paid me about 10 times a year, uh, 10 times more a year um, after I had got out of school and gotten, you know, I basically just took my college degree and burned it, which, you know, made my parents pretty stoked and proud, I bet, huh? <laughs> Back then, now it's a different story. But um, I remember, you know, the second year that I made like 12 grand and then it went to like 20 grand a year and uh, it, it took a while to build it. Now, I gotta say, I'll be honest, I wasn't as proactive as I should have been. I was more focused on being in a band at that time in my life, which I think was partially a mistake and partially a blessing because it was good for getting clients, but I wasn't really focusing on being an audio guy until I was like 27 or 28 years old. I was really focusing from the age of about 25 to 27 or eight on just being in a band and... Um, you know, audio was kind of a consequence. It wasn't until I really sat down and started just focusing on being an audio dude that my audio career really took off and really quickly and I started making money and, you know, turned it into a career pretty quickly. So um, you have that going for you. So I'll say like, listen, man, nothing in life, you only get opportunities like this once in a while. If you think that audio is gonna make you happy, dude, Charlie, you gotta go for it, bro. You gotta grab her by the horns. You gotta move, you gotta take over and you gotta get this done, man. Like, like, the worst thing that can happen to you is you end up doing what you're doing right now. You know, so is it so bad if you're off for six months and you can't get your business started? I mean, geez, walk into a job interview and be like, all right, so why haven't you had a job for the last six months? Because I tried to start a business and I worked really, really hard and, you know, I failed, but I learned a lot of valuable lessons and I, I put everything on the line and I'm sitting there, if I was an employer, I'd be like, damn, this guy's got balls. Like, I want to put this guy in charge of something because he's not afraid to take risks. Most people won't take, pull up their pants and they won't go out and they won't go for something because they're afraid. They're terrified. They, they don't want to, they don't want their friends to know that they're doing something, you know, and to judge 
judge them and to say, oh, you're gonna fail. They don't want their family to judge them, you know, because everybody in your life, when you go for it, is gonna tell you that you can't do it because they're all too afraid to do it themselves. So block all that crap out, man, and sit down and look at look inside your heart and say, this is what I want. If this is what you want, dude, then you need to go for it. And even if you fail, it does not matter because you're not losing anything. I could have always went back and got another job. That was my worst case scenario, continue doing something that I hate. But dude, I sat down and I went for it, just like you're going to after you listen to this podcast because man, you got nothing to lose. You need to do it now. It's so important to do it now because how are you ever gonna know what it's gonna be like? Do you wanna sit down 50 years from now Maybe when you're sick and dying and say, damn, I wish I would've went for it, you know? Okay, so here's your worst case scenario. Let me paint this, because I just realized there's another benefit. Your worst case scenario is you go back to having a job, and then you keep doing audio work on the side, and you make a couple extra bucks, and uh, life is good, you know? Like, that's not a bad life. Even if you have to keep a job, and you can still do audio on the weekends and a couple of weekdays, and do something you like, that's an amazing life. That's a win, that is a victory, because you have found something in your life that you love doing, that that makes you happy, that you love, that you're passionate about. And so many people don't find that in life. So even if you can't do it full-time, even doing it part-time on the side, like, dude, don't ever give up that dream. Just keep working on it and keep having fun. So, dude, you gotta go for it, man. So the next question is, all right, Joel, I get it. No small time. Jump in the fire, baby. Let's go get it. So what move should I make in the next eight months to try and transition into making a more reliable income off music? So first thing, Charlie, I think you need to do is you need to really focus and figure out what you want to do. So if you want more editing work or reamping or mixing, whatever you want to do, you need to focus on that and you need to get savage at it. The next thing is you need to get your client acquisition game up. And I've talked about client acquisition in a million places. Maybe you've taken speed mixing. Hopefully you have. And in speed mixing, there is an hour masterclass on client acquisition that was included in the bonus, which is fantastic. Um, if not, I man, hit one of my Facebook lives sometime and go through my feed and watch some of those on my Facebook because... I, I'm, I always give away a lot of really good client acquisition strategies. And, um, you know, we got this URM summit coming up. You might want to check that out. Uh, that's a pretty amazing opportunity. And I'm going to have a bunch of client stuff there. I mean, imagine going to Kane Churko and Billy Docker be like, yo, how do I get clients? You know, each one of those guys is going to have a different, or Brian Hood or, you know, Joey or Alec. Each one of those guys is going to have some different techniques and they're going to be able to learn something. So that might be a great opportunity for you. But again, you know, it requires you to invest some money. But, you know, what better place to go and meet a bunch of awesome people that may need editors or, you know, it's, it's just being around people that are going to be successful. And the people that are coming to the summit, just like the enhanced members at URM, like those guys, they're, they're on fire, man. They're, they're, they're hungry for it. They want it. They're going to make it. So dude, you got to go get it. So the next thing I would say is you got to be a sponge. You got to absorb as much information as possible. Now, obviously you're hit, sitting here listening to the podcast or I nail the mix. Like, dude, you're killing it, man. You just got to keep putting in the work and keep going hard. It takes time to get really, really great at this stuff. And no matter how good you get at it, you still feel like you suck because it's human nature. So you got to keep going, man. You got to just really be a sponge and absorb as much information and knowledge as possible and put in the time. But I would say the most important thing, and this is what took me a while to really figure it out, is you have to be regimented in your work ethic. You need to sit down with discipline and you need to get it done. You need to be like, all right, I'm going to get up at six in the morning. I'm going to study for two hours. I'm going to go exercise, eat breakfast. Then I'm going to come back in. I'm going to practice mixing. I'm going to work on some work for whatever the rest of the time. And then on the evening and the weekends, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go get clients. I'm going to go to shows. I'm going to network with people online. I'm going to spend an hour or two hours a day, you know, building relationships and rapport with people and trying to find clients. And then I'm going to spend an hour a day nurturing relationships that I already have so I can get repeat work and customers. So Charlie, I hope that helps you, man. 
I believe in you. You go and get it. You can do it. If I could do it, man, you could do it. It was a hard road for me, but I'm very, very thankful and very grateful that I went down that road and I didn't listen to all the little demons outside my ears that were like, don't do it. I don't know, man. You should get a job. You can't do it. Uh, aren't you, don't you feel embarrassed that you're living at your parents right now and working out of your mom? You know, like I, I, I look back at that stuff and, I, and now I laugh because all of those people, I made them eat their foot. So you know what? You can do it too. Don't listen to that crap. Filter it out. Get it done, son. Put in the work and no small time, Charlie. I look forward to seeing you at the top. All right, I got one more question here that I'm gonna answer and then I'm gonna go to a Facebook Live because I just feel like uh, I just wanna keep going. So <laughs> lots of things to rant about. So um, that being said, I do a lot of good rants for those of you. Uh, we have lots of fun on the live. So um, go hit me on Facebook, man. We're, we're definitely, if you're looking for more information and more knowledge and stuff like that, I've also been doing uh, Instagram rants. You can shoot me a message at dear, uh, sorry, at joel at urm.academy and just say rant. And then shoot me something. I'll go off a, a one minute personalized rant for you on my Instagram. Or if you hit me on Facebook, I do long form Facebook lives where I answer your questions and we sit down and we just have a blast. And they're pretty intense. So, you know, come find me and let's rock and roll. Okay. So our next and last question of the evening comes from Quincy. Quincy says, I was working on a mix in my bedroom when I started hearing some noises coming from other rooms in the house. As I walked away from my speakers to close the door, I noticed the click of the kick drum seemed to really stick out when I originally thought it was well balanced with the rest of the mix. I listened to some references, but their mixes seemed to remain balanced no matter where I was standing in the room. The click was noticeable, but never stood out. I tried tuning down the frequency boosts I had made. Uh, Bell gave some frequency stuff, but the click sound still stood out. And I made the kick sound dull in my normal posi uh, listening position. I tried to turn the kick itself down, but the mixes loses power and though in support, I have a multiband compressor on the kick and I tried taming some of the settings, uh, tried some, sorry, I tried tried some of the settings and it made it sound different, but not better. I've also tried scooping more of the mids, uh, even the clicks uh, sticks out. So what's going on here? I was on the right track uh, with any of these methods or am I missing something out or missing out on something? All right, so Quincy, here's what's up, dude. Um, I would first off maybe use a different kick drum sample or something like that if you want a different click, but let's just say that you're stuck with that drum. So a strategy you might not have tried that would probably really help if you're having a problem with EQ is take your kick and split it. So you wanna keep the body in the mid range and the low end of the kick because it's it's sounding awesome. So take a, duplicate your kick, right? And uh, mute the second channel. On the first channel, you want a low, uh, low pass filter to whatever frequency where you're getting the body and then on the kick that you split, maybe trigger it with something else and high pass it at maybe like one or 2K or something and try to get a different click onto your kick drum from a different sample or a different source or you know whatever. You can try electronic kicks. I've seen producers do all kinds of stuff. So that's a really good way to do it. That way you can change out the click so it gels more with the top of your mix. And this is super important because it's like the top of your guitars, your bass, if you're doing metal or EDM, um, your synths. It's important to get them together and to find a place where the top of the kick punches and it gels and it moves and stuff like that. This is something for my URM Enhanced members. We spend a lot of time talking about, and I spend a great deal of effort going through on mix rescues, um, helping people try to just hear when things are gelling and getting it together. So I just want to say that I would try to find a way to switch out the top of the kick and maybe keep the bottom if it's working. Um, I'm looking at your notes here. It says like you've used uh, match EQ and stuff like that. But uh, 
you know, you're, you're going crazy with all these things. You don't need a multi-band compressor. You don't need any of that stuff. What you need to do is you need to find a better sounding kick for the song. I feel like that's more important because if you get the source right, you can find something that gels. Boom, man, you're going to be in really, really, really good shape. So Quincy, you try that. Shoot me an email back. You let me know if you get it. Just be patient with it. Try lots of different stuff. You know, it's like when I'm mixing, I'll sit down and I will try a bunch of different kick drums samples because some kick drum samples are going to sound completely out of space. You know, whether it's EDM, whether it's uh, rock, whether it's metal, whatever. And then some samples are going to sound you know, they're going to fit in the mix, but they're going to be too pokey or they're going to be too um, wolfy. They're not going to be tight enough. They're not going to, you know, they're just not going to have the right energy. But every once in a while, it'll come a kick that just has the right energy for the song and it'll just lock right into your mix and you'll be like, oh, that's it. And that's where you want to be. So just spend the time to get it right at the source and try to find a better sample that's going to gel better with the mix. That's my advice to you. So, all right, I'm going to head out and go do a Facebook Live and go spit some hardcore epic rants uh, from my friends. And we're going to have a good time talking about audio stuff. So if you got a question and you want to be on this an episode of Dear Joel in the future, shoot me an email to joel at urm.academy. That is joel at urm.academy. And I would love to sit down and answer your questions and try to help you and give you advice in any possible way. Um, I just want to take another second here to talk about what an amazing opportunity the URM Summit is coming up here and it's going to be incredible. We've got an all-star lineup of just amazingly talented, smart, gifted people that are going to fly in in December. I think it's the 11th through the 14th. It's nailthemix.com slash summit, and they're going to come in, and we're going to talk all about all these amazing things that you can do to build your career as well as increase your chops. It's going to be an incredible immersive experience. There's going to be great networking opportunities like the people that have come and seen us at the boot camps uh, that Joey and Al have put on have really, really said amazing things and you know learned a ton from them. So you, got, you just got to come in and you got to do the summit because the URM summit is going to be like no other event in audio education. It is going to be so exciting and it's, it's just such an amazing opportunity opportunity and it's going to be fully immersive. Like we're going to really, really make it, we're going to work you guys hard. So I look forward to seeing a lot of you there. We're going to have fun. You know, the meetups that we've done in different cities and, um, you know, with different URM subscribers have been amazing and incredible. And we've had a lot of fun. So I can't imagine how awesome it's going to be to have a bunch of people from all over the world fly in into the summit. And we're going to sit down in one space and it's just going to be audio nerd fest for days. And it's just going to be so much fun. So with that, I'm going to sign off. It's great to be back. Shoot me some questions. I'll do another Dear Joel soon. I miss doing this and I'm so happy to be back and doing this with you guys again. And let's get inspired, get jacked up. Let's take control of our health here. That's important to me. I'm at a kick right now. Like I said, I want to inspire you. So make a health goal. Do something small in your life to improve your health. That's your homework this week. And uh, guys, let's go get it, man. No small time, as I like to say. With that being said, podcast theme, boom. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. 
The URM Podcast is also brought to you by Erlund Microphones. Erlund Microphones are high-end condenser microphones with something that has never been seen in the microphone industry. A triangular membrane. With our patented membranes and our tailored phase linear electronics, your recording and live experience will never be the same. Erlund, our microphones will help you discover clarity. Go to ehrlund.se for more info. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.